All right. Good morning. You guys got to quit putting up those beautiful pictures during worship of streams. All I wanted to do was go fishing. That was so beautiful. I did go fishing last weekend, and, or last week, and uh, had a lot of fun. Did quite well. Caught six over 18 inches. That's pretty good for smallmouth on the string. Not a lot of fisher people here. <laughs> you should have been saying, yeah, that was really good. All right, so I want to invite you again to view the messages. If you missed one of these in this summer teaching series on gracechurchrolla.com slash weekends, and you can view it there or go directly to YouTube and subscribe to uh, Grace Church Rolla there, or Grace Church of Rolla there at YouTube. Um, we're also on the Bible app, and we're live right now, so you can go to the Bible app and click on the bottom part of that. It says more, and then go to Grace Church of Rolla, and we've got all the passages there. You can take notes there as well. Um, and today is part three. This is the part that kind of hang on to your hat. Um, this will be a little bit different. If you've never been around church, then this is going to be a lot different than what you've ever heard that church was about. Um, if you've been following Christ for a while, you might have been taught different things, and, and you uh, look at these passages completely differently, and I respect that, um, and that's okay, but just consider some of these things that this, uh, this might have something to do with our lives now, even these ancient truths that we're going to get into today. Um, next week, we will have Dr. Heiser come in and uh, talk with, communicated with him this week, and he's excited about the next step. He's asked me what I've covered, and I said, I've made a mess out of everything uh, that you teach out of Supernatural, so you come in and clear everything up, and, and he says, I'm sure you didn't make a mess of it, and I said, well, it's thick. Uh, there's a lot to learn. Um, so I've hit a lot of the highlights, and you're welcome to hit anything that you feel to do. Just be led of the Lord in that. And he, th he thinks he's going to be hitting some areas of imaging. Um, and I, I don't even want to steal any of that thunder. I just I want him to just come in knowing what we've covered and then take it from there. So it should be an exciting weekend next weekend. Please come. Please mark your calendar for next, next weekend and also bring a friend or two. Um, he's an extremely good teacher. Um, if you've ever been around professors, uh, I, I have been because my dad was one. They're not the most animated and I am one too, so I'm not always animated when we get into the content like this. Um, but come ready to learn, all right? Is, and, if you, and get well rested the night before so you don't do what a lot of students a month, you know. So come ready to learn. Uh, Dr. Heiser's written several books. One is, I Dare You to Bore Me with a Bible. <laughs> I love that title. Unseen Realm, Supernatural, that's what we're teaching out of in this series. Reversing Hermon, Angels and Demons is coming out in Demons. The, the, title, the book, Demons, are coming out in 2020. 
So, and there's a couple other things. Here's Dr. Heiser on a, on a clip I have for you just so, to kind of introduce you to what he's like. Okay, so today is part three. We're going to be talking about the rebellion that happened in the spiritual, in the spiritual realm. We're going to pick up where we left off last time with the sons of God. We left off last time talking about these high-ranking angelic beings called sons of God. And I'm well aware of some of the interpretations of what sons of God are, are said to, to be. And I'll defer to Dr. Heiser to uh, provide information to debunk the, those erroneous interpretations. But as we get into the content today, it might be helpful to talk a little bit about worldview. This is one of the courses that I teach, and I've taught it for years and years. Um, we don't always understand that we live and breathe and, and function from a worldview. Every one of us do. We all have a worldview. And a worldview is lenses in which you see your life and the way that you see the world because of your experiences the teachings that you've accepted, uh, you, every one of us see the world in a certain way. If you're an, an atheist, then, uh, and if you're on that journey that you, just, you don't see that God is real or that, that he might be to other people, he might be real, but to you, he's not. Uh, I understand that, I respect that. Um, but if you are an atheist and you don't have room for God in your worldview, then you see everything as circumstantial circumstance, circumstantial, and then everything that happens is either by accident or purpose, or humans have done that, um, and, but, but it, even if good things happen, that you were very fortunate, if evil, you don't, you, a, 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 an atheist is a naturalist, so they, you would not think of good things as being from God, you wouldn't think of evil things, as, you have a different definition of evil, it's just unfortunate. Now, compare that to uh, what some of you might have is a Christian worldview, which would be a little bit different. As a Christian worldview, then you will have a view that in your lenses, there is a place for God. So when good things happen, you understand that God is moving in your life. You see it that way. When bad things happen, you see that it wasn't God, hopefully. <laughs> hopefully. Because scripture says that it's not God doing those evil things. He, he uses those things, but he, he's not doing those things. He's not behind those things. Um, but you would see, as a, with a, a Christ follower, you would have a Christian worldview. So you, in your lens, you have room for God moving uh, and doing good things. And you also have room for, for a supernatural evil being who does bad things. That's part of your context. That's how you see life. That's how you see your own, your own life. And um, so those are different worldviews. Now the challenge for us, uh, I'm going to take a little bit of time to lay this foundation for today because it's important. The challenge for us in our Western context, we think we believe in a supernatural worldview, and I'm, I'm not talking about you personally, I'm just talking about us as a, as a, as a, as a culture, whether it's European or, or America or Canada, the Western culture, we think we have a supernatural worldview as, a, as maybe Christ followers, but a lot of times we don't practice that. Because if we did have a really 
supernatural, a real super, a, a, a legitimate su uh, uh, supernatural worldview, then we would believe in prayer. We would pray more. We would fight the enemy, right? We wouldn't let these things happen to us, but we think they're just there and there's nothing that we can do. So we don't really practice. You go to Africa, you go to some of these other countries that are exploding with the gospel, you see them fighting the enemy. And we just lay back because we have, we've accepted this worldview that maybe isn't quite as supernatural as what the Bible brings out. And here's what I want to su suggest to you. Uh, and submit to you is that every author of Scripture, every author of every letter that's found in the Old Testament and the New Testament, every writer, every writing is based in, in, in bathed in a supernatural worldview. All right, so we got to get that. The problem is in our culture, we get into the supernatural and we think it's either make-believe or crazy, right? So we think, well, we don't want that because we don't. I'm I'm intelligent, uh, and and I'm I you know I, I don't need the supernatural because that scares me, or that's just way out there. Well, God can be way out there sometimes, and sometimes I think He needs to stretch us, right? And it's okay. We need you see. Every author, every communicator in Old and New Testament was comfortable with a supernatural worldview. They heard the stories and they experienced the supernatural over and over again. And they heard it. And so they were comfortable with it. So maybe get a little comfortable with the supernatural aspects of a life with God and following Him. It doesn't have to. You can be a Christ follower and not be crazy. You can be a Christ follower and not drift into make-believe. Because these things are real. Alright, so we need to get that established. I want to review triangle. Everything in this blue triangle is a created being of God. If you could put that up, it's... There you go. Sons of God are at the top. Archangels are in the middle. And then those, arch simply means chief. So they're uh, over this lower tier of what we would consider messengers or angels. Um, not little babies with wings. All right. So get rid of that idea. These guys are, we've, we've gone over this. They're extremely strong, extremely intelligent, extremely fast in both worlds. Uh, God created them for a purpose, but I just want to bring out again so that some of you haven't been here. So you may say, what in the world is this? The, the highest part of that hierarchy is the sons of God, the sons of God. Hey, Jason, I thought you were going. I thought you left last week. All right, good. I'm glad to have you again. You just couldn't stay away, right? Okay, so let's look at Job again. Job is the oldest book in the Bible. Job is in his torment, and you can get into all that. I just want to bring out this verse again that, that illustrates the sons of God. We just need to know who this group of, of angelic creations of God are. It's going to be really important as we go on. He, Job's in his torment. And he, he's trying to understand what's happening to him. Have you ever been there? You know, 
Pain has a way of taking you places that you don't want to be. Um, but it's not an excuse for incorrect theology. It's not an excuse for incorrect uh, beliefs. And Job begins to speak these incorrect and inconsistencies to God. And finally, God sits him down and says, I got some things to say to you, Job. And so this is what he says in Job 38. On what were the earth's foundations laid, Job? You weren't there. Or who sets its core in place? While the morning stars, we know from other passages, don't have time to go there, but you can search it your, yourself if you have time or make time. Uh, the morning stars are angelic beings, uh, sang together, and all the sons of God shouted for joy. All the sons of God shouted for joy. The sons of God is that higher, the highest rank of angelic creation of God. Notice what God calls them. He calls them his sons, sons of God. There's other passages we're going to look at briefly that he calls them gods, little g, gods. That's going to be important as well. So we see these references. We see that sons of God were there before the earth was created. They were with God and watching God create. They were there before man was created. These sons of God all have voices and personalities. All of them were with God at the creation of the earth and man. And we need to know, is there any other reference to sons of God in the scripture? Yes. And we're going to look at those a little bit in passing. Where else are the sons of God mentioned in scripture? We'll come back to, these are the list of them. If you'll put those lists up. Job 38 is what we just looked at. There's another couple of references in Job. Genesis chapter 4, we're going to come back to that at the end of the message today. Uh, psalm 29 is one that we can look at. And then we'll look at this, psalm, this Deuteronomy 32. If you're taking notes, I would suggest that you jot down two passages of Scripture. Psalm 82 and Deuteronomy 32. Of course, it's in the app, and you can go back and look at the app. But jot those down and look at them later because that's what this is going to be delving deeply into today. I want you to see what this says here in Psalm 29. It says, ascribe to Yahweh. Remember, that's the personal name of God. He's, there's many Elohim, right? Remember that? If you need to get that, go back to the YouTube and watch that. There's many Elohim. There are many gods and they're all real, but there's one who's the creator, and his name's Yahweh. All right? That's the closest that we can get to the Hebrew on that. There were no vowels. They had consonants, but we kind of put those, and we call it Yahweh. All right? It's the same word for Jehovah or Lord. When you see in the King James Version, all caps on L-O-R-D, that word is translated Yahweh. All right, so here's what their duty was. Ascribe to Yahweh, you sons of the mighty. You sons of the mighty. B'nai Elim, sons of God. This is the Hebrew term there. Ascribe to Yahweh glory and strength. That's why the sons of God were created. To worship God. To do what he wanted him, them to do. And he, we're going to see what he had planned for the, this higher tier of sons of God. There's one thing I've known, noticed and learned sometimes the hard way is that when God is working in your life, you want to stay in your lane. <laughs> you, 
You want to do what you're called to do. I've tried to do other things that I'm not called to do. Singing. I just better stay out there and just make a joyful noise. You know, I remember when we were first starting the church and, and Jimmy was leading, I, I got up and sang with him. And he just... <laughs> but stay in your lane. God's created you for a purpose, but in that purpose is great joy. And God's gifted you for those things. So stay in our, these creations of God were supposed to stay in their lane. And we're going to see that they didn't. And their lane was to ascribe honor and glory to Yahweh. But I want you to see something here that God calls them, the writer of Psalms calls them sons of the mighty, sons of God. They are not men. They are angelic. They are supernatural beings. All right, let's look at Psalm 96. For great is Yahweh, for great is Yahweh and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all, what does it say? God's Elohim. God is an Elohim. Yahweh is an Elohim. And then all these angelic beings are Elohim too. They're spiritual beings. They're supernatural. We could use the word divine. That's the way Scripture uses it, calls it divine. They're sons of God. They're sons of His. But he says, there is no one like Yahweh. There is one Yahweh of all these Elohim. There's one Creator. That's important for us to get a hold of. Look at Psalm 97. David removes all doubt. That, there, that these other powers exist. Right? He says, For you, Yahweh, are the most high. Most high of what? Of all the other creations that He has created. Of all the other little g-gods. He is the most high Elohim. He is Yahweh of all the other Elohim. Important to see that. It's not saying something that doesn't, he's not referring to something that doesn't exist. That wouldn't make any sense. For you, Yahweh, are above all the earth. You are exalted far above all other gods who don't really even exist. It wouldn't make any sense, would it? So he's saying, no, you are Elohim. You are Yahweh, God of gods. You are the God of all these other creations. They do exist. Now, what is their purpose? Let's talk a little bit about the divine counsel. Let's move on to what Asaph, the writer of Psalm 82, called the divine counsel. And we're going to blend this, these concepts of Elohim and sons of God as we look at God's court. And this really gets fascinating to me, at least. God, in Psalm 82, says, God, Elohim, the creator of all things, the incomparable God of all, the Most High. And remember, Elohim means plural. So what we're seeing is the plurality of God, Father, Son, and Spirit, although it's not revealed that way as clearly as it is in the New Testament. But we see the plurality of God. He's one God manifest in three ways, three personalities, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So God, Elohim, creator of all things, the, the plurality, has taken his place in the divine council. 
What in the world? Has taken his place in a divine council in the midst of the gods. Elohim. He holds judgment. Or he litigates. So here we're seeing something amazing about God. Is that when he creates and he has plans. How many of you have found that God has plans? He has plans for your personal life. And he's got plans for, for the world and the future. He's always thinking, you know, he's... You can't really exhaust the, 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 the intelligence of God. He's just, Paul got to that place where he's like, oh, I can't, you know, <laughs> he just, I, I, I don't remember the scripture, but I just remember him going, oh, I just can't believe the magnitude of God, you know, and that's kind of where we come to sometimes when we're following him. It's like you watch him turn things around in your life and you're like, ah, oh, I did not see that, really. You know, really? Of course not. He can do some amazing things. He's doing things in your life right now that you, you can't see that he's doing good things for you. It's, it's, it's tremendous. So what, what's beautiful that we see in this passage, though, is that when he creates, he wants to use and work through his creation, his plans, so he creates this hierarchy of angels and at the top, the sons of God, and he brings them into council. God is doing this. He brings them into council and he gets input. It's participatory governance. He wants to hear from them. But he's God. Does he need to do this? Let's put quotes around need. No, God doesn't need to do this. He chooses to do this. When it comes to our lives, you know what God does? He creates you, and then he says, I'm going to talk to you about your life. Here's what I think. I want to hear what you think. It's not written in granite. Does he know everything? Yeah, he's God. He's omniscient. He, can, he knows everything. He knows what you're going to choose before you choose it, but he lets you choose it, and he allows you to give him input. And you can actually talk to him about your life. Revelatory. We're talking about a flexible, loving God. There are some things you don't want to mess with. You know, when he makes it clear... And how many of you, I, I, I hate to take these pig trails because I know we're squished on time, but how many of you, you knew what God wanted you to do and you got his input, whether through circumstances, people, or directly through prayer or reading the scripture, and you didn't do it, you just thought you had a better idea. I've never done that, guys, so... <laughs> Oh, my goodness. And boy, don't you, after you get through it, it's like, man, I just wish I would have listened. And it turns out, so that's our growth. That's our journey, is that we're just continually learning how to listen and obey. And God's always got the, the, your best interest in mind, if we can trust him. All right? So he chooses to do it that way. He chose to do this with a team of counsel, these sons of God. Let's go to Psalm 82, verse 6. 
And this is what God says. I said, and the writer of Psalms says this, I said, you are God's Elohim. You are God's. So, so God is calling these creations of his God's. You are God's sons of the Most High, all of you. You are my production. I created you. You're my sons. I call you God's. So we know that the writer Asaph is saying this, but we also know that he's quoting, if you believe in Scripture as being authentic, you believe that this not only was Asaph writing, but he's writing by the power of the Holy Spirit, and that he is quoting God. And so God is saying these words. So God knows that these gods are real. You get that? He knows that these sons of the Most High are real. So this is the term that we need to deal with as we go forward. Again, the divine counsel. Are there limits to what God's counsel can do? Yes. Does God need a counsel? No. Does God choose to use one? Yes. And you know, there's another thing I'd like to add. We have a leadership team here. We'll be meeting today. There's been many times when we've been meeting, we've been, and we've been in some tight places over the years, and we pray. And you know what? God has answered our prayers. I have sensed the presence of God in our leadership team over and over again. Um, and that's part of this participatory Governorship. Do you think there's anyone that cares more about this local church than God? Because that's what he does. There are leadership teams all over the world that are doing God's work in the earth. And that's the way he chooses to do it. To work through a team. Alright, let's look at the nations now. We're going to move on to what Asaph, the writer of Psalm 82, called the Divine Council. And we get through that. And now... We're going to look at the nations, and we're going to look at the. We're going to go to this passage. This is one of the important ones in Deuteronomy 32. They're all important, but these are the ones that we're really focusing on. Deuteronomy 32. This is this is just amazing what happens here. We're talking about the ancient days recorded in Genesis. So now we're going back to the Song of Moses, and and he's going to be in this song is going to be referring to an ancient day even beyond them. We, we look at Moses, and well, he was an old guy, you know, a long, a long time. You know, we're talking about even way before Moses. So here's the song of Moses, Deuteronomy 32, verse 7 and 8. Remember the days of old. So a lot older than Moses, way back there. Remember the days of, the, of old. Consider the years long past. Ask your father, and he will tell you your elders, and they will inform you. This was passed down orally. They were, they were passed down in stories. And notice what he says. When the Most High, who would that be? Yahweh, right? Most High. We're not talking about the sons of God. We're talking about the creator of the sons of God. When the Most High gave the nations their inheritance... What's he talking about? When he divided mankind. Divided mankind. When did that happen? You got one choice. This is a multiple choice question, students. <laughs> and you have one choice. There's only one answer on the test. 
and it is the Tower of Babel. That's the only time this happened. It's the Tower of Babel. Now this is illustrated also in Paul's writing in Romans chapter 1. You might jot that down. Romans chapter 1. I'll just read a little bit about Romans chapter 1. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against godliness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth in, this wicked, in their wickedness. This is talking about that time period. Since it may be known about God, it's plain to them because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, and you know these, His eternal power, His divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. For although they knew God, or they knew about God, they neither glorified Him as God nor gave thanks to Him. That's what we try to, to provide an environment where we can give thanks to God, right? Because we want to worship Him, we want to honor Him. Because He's real, He's the one that's created us. And we want to give Him thanks. But these people did not choose to do that. And even though they knew about God, they neither glorified Him as God nor gave thanks to Him. But in their thinking became futile, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal human beings and birds and animals and reptiles. And verse 24 of Romans chapter 1 says it all. He uses this amazing word. He says, therefore God gave them over. Gave them over. This is the Tower of Babel event. This is when man divided, was divided. Remember, they were building this tower because they were all one people. God interacted with them up until this point. And then he said, that's enough. That's enough. And he said, he made them all speak different languages and scattered them. They were supposed to scatter anyhow, and this time he forced them to scatter. And what he did is amazing. What he did, God, this word gave them over. There's other words that come close to it in the original language. It means to subject, but the one that comes the closest to what he did is that he entrusted. He entrusted these nations to whom? To the sons of God in his counsel. And you know the story. Of, we didn't even go there. Dr. Heiser asked me if I'd gone to Genesis chapter 1 through 3. And I said, I haven't even touched it. It's all yours. <laughs> and and uh, I never even got there. But you know the story of the fall of man. Well, what caused the fall of man? Some kind of being tempted and lured the initial man and woman of the human race, right? Well, ever since that time from Genesis chapter 3 in the Garden of Eden, that being had been infiltrating as much as he could into the human race all the evil and corrupting mankind to the point where God said, all right, I'm giving you over. You don't want to worship me, I'm giving you over. To whom? He gave them over. He divided them into nations and gave authority and jurisdiction to every one of those sons of God. So apparently, I'm getting ahead of myself, but apparently I just want to bring this out to you. Apparently the number of nations that he split the, the known world in at that time, the same number were in the sons of God in that council. And he gave each one of them a nation. They were to do a couple things. They were to give justice and mercy they were to rescue 
from wickedness, and they were to organize things. Isn't this amazing, this supernatural connection from heaven to earth? The way God intended it would never be separate like, like we experience it. It would be a reality. It would be something that we live in consciously every day. All right. So when the Most High gave the nations their inheritance, when he divided mankind, he fixed the borders of the, of the peoples according to the numbers the number, go ahead and put that passage up, it would you? Slide number 22, please. 21, sorry. <laughs> 21, there you go. Thank you. When he divided mankind, look at this, he fixed the borders of the peoples according to the number of what? Is this crazy or what? It's really going to get crazy here. Before I let you go. All right. You can put the next one up with that map. And so these are the known... Uh, you can't hardly see that, but those are the known countries at that time. So each son of God was an authority, had a domain over each ethnic group or people in the world at that time. Now let's go back to Psalm 82. And Psalm 82 says, God presides in the divine assembly. He renders judgment among the gods. He litigates among them. Now let's track this. What's going to happen next? Something horrible happens in his divine council. In these elite angelic creations that were given dominion over the nations of the earth, then corruption comes to them. Darkness spread among the divine council, and the council became corrupt. It's amazing the patience of God. We see it over and over and over again. And I can look at my own life and see the patience of God over and over and over again. So the rebellion spreads to each member to test each member of the divine council. Choose which side you're going to be on. Because I'm going to do some things. Choose now which side you're going to be on. That was the test for the sons of God when corruption infiltrated into the council. I have my sneaking suspicions how it got there. But I want to bring this right down to home today. Because this really has everything with us today. We have to choose which side we're going to be on. There is just something about allegiance with God that He honors. It doesn't mean that you're perfect. It doesn't mean that you don't make mistakes because we've all made them all. Right? But what He does look at is the allegiance of your heart. Not that, that the other doesn't matter, but He wants primarily your heart. And so what he's saying to each one of us, choose who you're going to serve. Choose God or you choose the enemy. You choose. It's your choice. God's a gentleman. The Holy Spirit's a gentle person of the Godhead. He doesn't override. He doesn't force. He doesn't coerce. But he does let you choose. He does let you choose. And if you'll choose the right way, he'll help you. He'll help you live it. He'll help you make good decisions. 
He'll help you. But darkness is beginning to spread and infiltrate. So we're going to read this passage. And this is God's response when corruption hits his divine counsel. And he says in verse 2, How long will you judge unjustly, you sons of God? Right? And show partiality to the wicked. Selah. Selah means to think about it. You think about what you're doing. You've chosen wrongly. You've chosen to rebel against me. And there will be repercussion now. In verse 3 it says, Defend the cause of the weak. See how God loves His people. Even though the nations were rebelling against Him, He still loved them. He put these divine beings of light in authority and dominion over them. And they were supposed to lead them back to lead humanity back to life. Lead them back to the light of God. But they didn't do it. He says, you're supposed, you're, you're supposed to be defending the cause of the weak and you're not doing it. He says, and the fatherless. You're supposed to be helping the fatherless and you're not doing it. You're supposed to uphold the rights of the afflicted and the oppressed and you're not doing it. You're supposed to, re verse 4, you're supposed to be rescuing the weak and the needy. To save them from the hand of the wicked. There were many wicked men. And you're supposed to help those that are innocent in all these nations. And you're not doing it. You are sons of God. You're supposed to be doing what I ask you to do. And you're not doing it. You have chosen wrongly. You will pay. You will pay. See, there's an anger with God. He has a point where he is just put, pushed to the limit. And then destruction will come. And you don't want to push him to that point. We play with our lives so much, and God is interested in righteous living. We push Him and push Him and push Him and think it's, it's just the grace of God. Grace is great. Grace, grace is prevailing. But you can push God to the point where there's nothing I can do for you. There's nothing I can do for you because you continually go that direction. Would you come back? Would you come back to the light? And that's what He brought these sons of God, gave them, brought them together and gave them Dominion, that's what the purpose was. So verse 5, it says, They have knowledge. People have no knowledge of me still. Nor understanding. They don't understand what righteousness is. Because of you, sons of God, you were supposed to do this. They will walk about in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are shaken. He says, you are ruining it. You are ruining my creation. By not rescuing them. And now he says, Psalm 82, verse 7, I have said, this is, this is God speaking, and the psalmist recording says, I have said, You are gods. You are Elohim. You are supernatural. You are all sons of the Most High. You are my production. You are the ones that I created. I call you sons. I called you gods. But like mortals, you will die. And like rulers, you will fall. And that would happen. How did it happen? How did this judgment come? We're still on the same track. But kind of travel with me a little bit. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 2. I love this verse. Don't neglect to show hospitality. It seems like it doesn't go with what we're talking about, but it does. Don't neglect to show hospitality, for by doing this, some have welcomed angels, have welcomed angels as guests without knowing it. I don't know about you, but that kind of freaks me out. 
go back, figure out a little bit more about these angelic beings, what they could do, what they could become, what, 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 what they were capable of. Genesis 18, the Lord appeared to Abraham. Remember Abraham? Those of you that read a little bit of scripture, Abraham's in the Old Testament, father of our faith. The Lord appeared to Abraham near the great trees of Mamre. Abraham looked up and saw three men. What did he see? Three men. What did they look like? Men. Three men standing nearby. When he saw them, he hurried from the entrance of his tent to meet them and bowed down to the ground. What in the world is he bowing down to the men, men for? We're going to find out a little bit later that these three men are supernatural beings. Two of them are angels, and they appear as what? Men. All right? And one of the men, one of these angels says to Abraham, you're going to have a kid. All right, I'm paraphrasing. You're going to have a kid in about a year. And Sarah was still in the tent. Abraham got out from the doorway of the tent, came and greeted and bowed down. And in the conversation a little bit later, he says, your wife's going to have, you know, she's been barren and you've been old, but, but you're going to have a kid next year. And the thing that you've been wanting is going to come to pass. And, and inside the tent and just to herself, not out loud, not vocally, inside herself, she just, <laughs> she laughed. And so in the conversation, one of those beings, angels, said, Sarah laughed. And she said, from the she said, I didn't. And the guy said, yes, she did. End of argument. A little bit later, it says, and this gets kind of, it says, he then brought, this is Abraham, Abraham brought some, slaughtered a calf, a choice calf, and set it before them. What did they do? They ate. They ate. They appeared as men, and they ate, and he stood near them under the tree. Can angels do these things? Apparently so. They can appear as men. Apparently. Apparently they can eat. They can sit down. Interesting. Verse 16 says, when the men got they looked down towards Sodom and Abraham and so they're walking so they're they're seeing they're touching they're feeling they're eating they're doing everything that we can do um, they're going to go down to Sodom and Gomorrah and it's not going to be pretty when they go down there the Lord it says the Lord stayed behind one of the three was actually a pre-incarnate Jesus we know him as Jesus, the second member. He was the word John reveals to us. But he stays behind to Abraham for a period of time about, and they begin to dicker how many righteous men would you, would you say that city for? Abraham had the boldness to say that to, to the Lord. See, it's not all written in granite. We can, we can pray. We can talk to him. And he's having this interaction. In verse 19, that evening, the two angels, or I'm sorry, not verse 19, chapter 19, the next chapter, that evening, the two angels that went on forward to Sodom. And this is an amazing interaction with humanity here. 
But notice that the scripture, the writer of Genesis, the ancient writer, and I believe it was inspired by God, doesn't call them men this time, calls them angels. That's for us that are a little bit slower to catch on. Oh, they're angels. So I'm going to read this real quick. I mean, I've got the first part of this there, but I, I want you to see this entire section. I'll read it. That evening, the two angels to the entrance of the city of Sodom. Lot was sitting there, and when he saw them, so Lot could see them, he stood up to meet them. Then he welcomed them and bowed to the ground. My lords, he said, come to my home to watch my guests for the You may then get up early in the morning and be on your way again. Oh, no, they replied. We'll just spend the night out here in the city square. But Lot insisted. So at last they went home and prepared a feast for them, complete with fresh bread made without yeast, and they ate. There it is again. They're doing everything men do. But before they retired for the night, all the men of Sodom and Old came from all over the city and surrounded the house. They shouted to Lot, where are the men who came to spend the night with you? Bring them out so that we can have sex with them. So Lot stepped outside. To... The Bible doesn't pull any punches. This is better than any movie. This is better than Superman. Batman. This is the real stuff. Right? They shouted Lot, where are all those men? We want to have sex with them. So Lot stepped outside to talk to them, shutting the door behind him. Please, my brothers, he, he begged, don't do such a wicked thing. Look, I have two virgin daughters. Now, I'm not sure about how Lot handled this. I have two virgin daughters. Let, them, let me bring them out to you, and you can do with them as you wish. But please, leave these men alone, for they are my guests, and they are under my protection. Stand back, they shouted. The fellow this fellow came to town as an outsider, speaking of Lot, and now he's acting like our judge. We'll treat you far worse than these other men. And they lunged toward Lot to break down the door. But the two angels reached out, pulled Lot into the house, and bolted the door. Then they blinded all the men, young and old, who were at the door so that they wore themselves groping for the door. Okay, so now we know a little bit about what angels can do. They can do everything a person can do. And plus a few th other things, right? They just blinded everybody. Does the New Testament have anything to say about some of these things? It does. Jude and Peter both write about these things. Peter? Stick your foot in your mouth, Peter? Yes. After, you know, nobody really blames Peter for what he did. And after he was restored, nobody questions his loyalty. Peter was awesome. And he became an astute teacher of the Word of God after that time. Yeah, that Peter. Until the time that he was executed by Nero. But let's go to Jude first. Jude, verse 5. Are you still with me? We're, we're going to land this here in a minute, and then we'll, we'll be ready for Dr. Heiser. But in Jude, uh, there's only one chapter. Verse 5. Note that Jude and Jesus, it said Jesus delivered the Hebrews from Egypt. I, I love this. Although you're fully aware of this, I want to remind you that after Jesus had delivered, so that was Jesus in those plagues. That was Jesus across the wilderness. That was Jesus with them all that time, the second member of Godhead. 
And Jude, Jude understood that. And so he just used the word Jesus. Jesus. He just, it was Jesus. So if you have any questions who that was with, with the Hebrews when they were in the Exodus, that was Jesus. Although you are fully aware of this, I want to remind you that after Jesus delivered his people out of the land of Egypt, he destroyed those who did not believe. And it goes on to say in verse angels. It seems like this is just coming out of left field. And it says, and the angels who did not stay within their domain authority. What were the angels' domain? What angels are we talking about? We're talking about the sons of God. And what dominions, what domains is he talking about? He's talking about when he gave the nations their, their authority were over the nations. He said, he said, but they didn't stay in their domain. They didn't stay in their lane. They didn't stay with the responsibilities that God had given them. We can really get in trouble when we get out of our lane. And so he says, and they did not stay within their own domains of authority, but abandoned their proper nation. They didn't stay in heaven where they were supposed to be. They didn't stay in their domain, and they did some things, some transgressions. And remember, Angels can appear as men, right? They can do what men can do, right? All right? He keeps under darkness. These sons of God, he locked up in a place called Tartarus. It's translated hell in a lot of places. It's a compartment of judgment locked in, in bonds of darkness, it says in Scripture, for the judgment day. And they will all be destroyed or judged at that time. I want to go down to another verse in Jude, it's Jude 14 and 15, and this is just getting bizarre or more bizarre. Verse 14, Job quotes from the book of Enoch. What? Uh, what, what? What's the book of Enoch? The book of Enoch, what we need to know about it right now is that it touches the New Testament writings. The book of Enoch is not canonical. It doesn't mean that it's scripture. But the scripture knew about the book of Enoch, and it was in their heads. They quoted it, and we find in Jude that he quotes it. Peter also uses it. So that's why it's important. It's not that we go to the book of Enoch and try to live our Christian lives with it, but we need to understand what they understood, the writers understood, so that we know what we're talking about here. The book of Enoch is an explanation of what happened at that time when the angels rebelled. All right, so Enoch is mentioned here in Jude 14 and 15. Enoch, the seventh... Boy, you guys are quiet. Are you getting tired yet? Mark Miller is it's like, man, for once you're going to let me go a little bit longer, right? Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about them. See, the Lord is coming with thousands upon thousands of His holy ones to judge. So this is talking about the end times, of all the ungodly acts that they have committed, and of all the defiant words ungodly sinners have spoken against Him. Wow. Peter also talked about it. Second Peter chapter 2. For God did not spare even the angels who sinned or transgressed. He threw them all into hell or Tartarus in gloomy pits of darkness where they are being held until the day of judgment. How did they sin? What happened? 
Is there any record of it? And this is where we're going to wind up today. Are there any hints or explanation of this angelic rebellion in the biblical account? There is. The next verse in 2 Peter, I want you to see this. I've never seen this together until I started studying Dr. Heiser's research. I've never seen this together. But these two verses go together. The next part of Peter's writing says, and God did not spare the ancient world. He just talked about the angels rebelling, right? Just talk, we just got through that. Just talked about the angels rebelling. And then he says, and God did not spare the ancient world except for Noah. Anybody remember Noah? All right. The seven other family. God protected Noah when he, was de- when he destroyed the world of ungodly people with a vast flood. So the two are connected. The two are connected in Peter's mind. Let's go back and we'll wind up here. We'll, we'll finish, believe it or not. Let's go to Genesis chapter 6 and this is where we'll conclude. So now you know a little bit about the sons of God. Hierarchy of angels. How the writer described them. You know a little bit about their supernatural abilities to appear as men and eat and... and do all these kinds of things. They had, we also know from that they had supernatural speed, strength, and intelligence, knowledge. You see that we found out today that they had dominion. They had authority over nations. Now we're going to find out a little bit about them from the writer of Genesis and their transgression. Now when men began to multiply on the face of the earth, And daughters were born to them. So population is expanding. The sons of God. Who were they? Were they leaders in Israel? No. No. Who were these sons of God? Angels. Angelic being the highest hierarchy of angels. The sons of God saw that the daughters of men were beautiful and they took wives whomever they chose. Was this a myth? No, it happened. According to the writer of Genesis. The writer of Genesis believed that this happened. And now, watch this. That all happens. And in the following verse, it says the Nephilim were on the earth in those days and afterward as well. When the sons of God had relations with the daughters of men, And they bore them children who became the mighty men of old, men of renown. Let's take that last part first. Mighty men of old, men of renown. In other words, they were famous. Everybody that was living on the earth at that time knew about them. They were so supernatural. They were a hybrid of an angel, angelic being, a supernatural being. They had supernatural powers just like the angels did. But they were also human. So there is a, there's a, It's a mix. And they're called Nephilim. They're not mentioned here by accident. It has everything to do with the flood and why God wiped it all out and started again. Because these Nephilim were designed by evil to stop the plan of God. To resist them. We see the descendants of these creatures later and they're giants. We're going to see this here in just a second. But 
or maybe we don't have time. But we see this happening, and my wife's laughing at me. You've already gone a half hour over. Got a golf tournament. <laughs> see you. <laughs> Get out of here. <laughs> so, so, the descendants of the Nephilim became the, the descendants of, the, of Anak, and we see giants in the land of where? The promised land. The promised land. They were designed to be supernaturally strong and intelligent so that the plan of God to create a whole new country, a whole new nation of people, of whom we are a part of now, we've been grafted in from all the different nations, but you can see that the plan of God was to create this nation of Israel, and they needed a place. They needed a, planet, a place on earth, and that was the promised land that God had prepared. And who is in that promised land resisting the nation of Israel from going in there? It was the giants. And that's why he said, wipe them all out. Wipe, that's right, giants. <laughs> see? There's something in us that wants to know these things. What really happened back there in the ancient, these ancient truths? So the giants stood up and resisted. And you finally see David. You remember when the, when the giant from Gath, Goliath, resisted? They were always resisting the plan of God. And this was one of the last of the five last giants. And you remember what he says? I defy you. The armies of Israel, the armies of God, I defile you. And David stood up and said, you uncircumcised Philistine. And he took his stone and he slung it and he killed and cut his head off. So that the plan of God would continue. See, if you have an atheist uh, worldview, you hear our stories you read in the Old Testament how God wiped out whole populations, men, women, and children, and you have no idea how a loving God could do that because these normal people that were... That, that, uh, that obliteration of people didn't happen for all peoples in the nation of, of the Promised Land. It only happened in those areas where the giants were. And he said, wipe them all out. They are not to live. They are stopping the plan of God. Well, I hope I didn't blow you away too much today. Go ahead and stand. Father, we want to thank you for your plan. These aren't just fairy tales. These aren't just myths. You've had plans that we don't even know about. There's so much that happened that we, we're just beginning to understand. But when it comes down to our lives, God help each one of us today choose to walk with you, to be serious about our walk with you, to enjoy your presence. God, forgive us for we frustrated you. Thank you for the patience that you've given us over and over and over and over again. It's almost as if your patience can not be exhausted, but we don't want to test you. The only way that we want to test you is your goodness. We want to give what you give to us so that your goodness can be displayed in our lives so that others can see your goodness.
That's the only way that we want to be testing you. But we want want to walk away from your will and your plan because your will and your plan is always good. Thank you, God, for your help, your strength, your revelation. I'm going to pray for everything that's been said today. If there's anything from me that's not of you, just erase it. If there are things that we don't understand, give us a hunger and a thirst to understand more. I pray for Dr. Heiser that it be used of you, God, that the Holy Spirit will move through him as he speaks next weekend. And I just thank you, Father, for the things that you're doing in our hearts. You are amazing. Holy Spirit, we honor and respect you. In Jesus' name, amen.